Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, it's time to get started with another episode of this podcast where I get the chance to meet an accessibility practitioner. And today I am pleased to be visiting with Christopher Land. Hello, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm great, how are you, Joe? It's going pretty well. It's a fairly dry day here in my uh, Vashon Island office, which is near Seattle, where Blink has its uh, headquarters. Uh, where are you located? Uh, I'm in San Diego, and uh, yeah, it's it's another lovely day. I moved out here from the Midwest a few years ago, and I'm still appreciating the lovely uh, spring-like weather we get in November here. Well, it's great to uh, 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 get in touch with you again. We we had uh, met at the uh, uh, San Diego uh, uh, Accessibility and Inclusive Design Meetup group there. So uh, looking forward to being at another one of those meetings again in the future. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to have you uh, come in and, and do a lightning talk for us sometime soon. Well, I, a good place to start is always with uh, what you're doing right now. So maybe tell us a little bit about your current position, and then we can uh, go back and look at how you got there. Yeah, sounds great. So let's see. I think I'm in, I might have just started my fourth month uh, at Oracle, and my, my title is long. Uh, I'm a, a senior accessibility technical program manager uh, with Oracle, and I'm focusing on teams that work on all of Oracle's public-facing sites, and there's a lot. This includes uh, Java, NetSuite, MySQL, and then within Oracle.com, we've got, I'm, I'm still getting an inventory of all the portals and front-end-facing sites. So I'm working with teams um, sort of in the short term to find and fix issues that we have on our sites and make them uh, as accessible as possible and get that moving forward. But also in the longer term, I'm working on building a program, building training uh, targeted at UX folks, developers and, and QA. Um, Cause I've kind of got, you know, I've got this bottleneck problem where there's a lot of sites and I'm just one person. So I'm, I'm trying to do some formal training. I'm trying to do some on-the-job training where I'm, I'm supporting developers in fixing issues, helping designers uh, review their drafts for potential issues and, and sort of fix things as upstream as possible. And we're working right now on, on uh, formulating a system to start doing uh, like accessibility annotations in our designs and, and really get the UX folks thinking through that accessibility problem solving. So, um, you know, they're doing a fantastic job right now with visual design for our products and services. So we're doing a lot of exercises in like, okay, now, now that you've designed this cool thing, how are we going to do it with a keyboard? And put yourself in the shoes of a screen reader user. How are we going to make sure all the announcements are clear and everything is 
uh, conveyed to all users. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a really great role. I'm really enjoying it because I'm getting that uh, variety of working with designers, working with developers, and getting my hands into the code, um, and also using my experience with larger organizations trying to tackle the big job of how do you get a large organization to start doing more and more accessibility and make that part of our jobs and the, and the culture. Um, so it's going great so far and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. Well, you obviously have a lot of things to keep you busy and uh, we could uh, come back in uh, there are a couple of things you mentioned there I want to follow up on. But one of the things that uh, I like to do with this series is to um, just uh, follow the paths of people of how they got to where they are in accessibility uh, for people that are new to uh, the discipline. Sometimes it, it, it may not seem like an area that, you know, would be a, one of full-time activities. So um, why don't you just uh, give us an idea of where accessibility first uh, became of interest to you and we can kind of move uh, forward in time. Yeah, sure. Sounds good, Joe. So let's see the my background. I guess I started my career doing graphic design, and this is now ugh, over twenty years ago. And so I was I was there and participating in in sort of the start of businesses making websites. You know, we're talking about early two thousands. Um, so I went from graphic design into learning more HTML and CSS and JavaScript. And I did a lot of work for a good uh, decade or so building websites. And at this point, I was really in the dark on accessibility. I did uh, a lot of work in Flash and I'm sure unleashed a lot of inaccessible experiences on the world in my early career, in my, my ignorance. I'm sorry about that. Uh, from there, I went and took a job as a front-end developer and designer with University of, of Michigan. And that was a great job. Got to work on a lot of um, really cool projects within the university. And that's where I first got introduced to accessibility. That's where I started getting projects and the specs included not a whole lot of detail, but build this website, make it do this and that. Also, asterisk, make sure everything is accessible. And when I started asking follow-up questions of, oh, what does that mean? Um, I've I've heard about alt attributes, but never in my in my training or studies up to that had I really encountered accessibility very much. But the university, being publicly funded, um, was committed to accessibility for you know internal and external. Uh, websites, you know, because of its its involvement with federal funding and, and that stuff. So that sort of was the start of my accessibility journey, as they say. I had to go out and, and basically start teaching myself. And I found very quickly that unlike jo vanilla, say, JavaScript or HTML, Google is your best friend or Stack Overflow is your best friend. You can say, ah, how do I make a column do this? And it's pretty good about getting the reply back to you with, with a good, some good leads to go down. I found this was not true with accessibility. There are a lot of resources out there that are either out of date or inaccurate. Um, you know, so I learned very early on that 
even when you find code samples and resources that say they're accessible, you have to start testing them thoroughly yourself. So that's where I got into learning to test with a screen reader and, and use that and understanding the importance of uh, keyboard navigation um, and some of the, the basics. Once I had started down this path at the university, it didn't take long before I got that reputation as, oh, the accessibility guy. And so that kind of snowballed. They said, oh, Chris knows how to make accessible tooltips. He knows how to do accordions. So all of the accessibility related work and bugs started coming my way, um, which, which was cool. At, so at first, and I use this when I'm, when I'm teaching people that are new, to, to be very honest, at first I was kind of grumpy about the extra work. I didn't understand the importance of accessibility and I didn't really have, um, you know, coworkers or people in my life with disabilities. So I was really underestimating the, the impact and importance of it, right? Um, but once I started down this path, I started going to accessibility conferences, uh, talking with, you know, daily native screen reader users and really starting to see the issue and, and, and build my own personal empathy um, for users' struggles and also how important and empowering it is for people when the technology works right. Um, people can really live independent lives with a variety of disabilities in an unprecedented way. You know, just a, a quick example is somebody without sight can, you know, as long as Uber and Lyft work, they can taxi all around a city independently, for example. Um, so anyway, from there, um, I just kept building that expertise. Uh, I helped write some uh, accessibility guidelines for the university and started disseminating um, accessibility information. And I'd had some, some other background in uh, teaching animation and programming at the, the local college. So I really like working with people and teaching and, and stuff like that. So once I built this um, sort of specialty and started going down this path, I really got got into it because it's it's you know it's creative, it's technical, it's problem solving, it involves you know design and UX, uh, but man, it also it, it also just feels really good. It's you know it's more than just selling a product or building a website um, when you're really helping connect people and you know, serving principles of, of you know, equity and, and justice. That might be getting a little grand, but uh, <laughs> um, anyway, I, I, I sleep pretty well at night usually. So um, <laughs> from there, uh, I, I got a job doing accessibility development work and consulting with DQ and worked with a lot of great people there, learned a lot more as far as, you know, technical, technical stuff like ARIA code and patterns complex stuff like how you make a date picker accessible, for example. So it was really cool. It was a really great experience to work alongside uh, a great group of, of experts. And uh, so from there, I went to Level Access, continued um, on the same kind of path. I, I was a manager at Level Access and worked with a team of, of really talented senior consultants. We worked for a lot of great big brands. And um, yeah, that was really great. Did a lot of training at both jobs, 
worked with a lot of clients and and that's really rewarding too when you get done with a training session and you can see people charged up and enthusiastic and have had their eyes open to the importance of accessibility so uh, yeah that's that's sort of the short version or maybe the long version yeah well uh, for for those that may be new to the space and are familiar with uh DQ and, and Level Access, those are both organizations that specialize in uh, assisting companies uh, with their uh, accessibility work. So um, I, I, I assume that, uh, or may I, may I shouldn't assume that there was uh, a lot different as you moved from that uh, initial university work where essentially you're, you're working within that one domain for that organization. And then, uh, and then now you're doing consulting work for all kinds of uh different companies uh what was kind of what was that like uh how did it uh you know was it easy to make that uh move and uh just tell me a little bit of maybe about that experience yeah let's see uh it was it was definitely a culture change um i was a little bit frustrated when i was at the university just with the sort of slow speed that that things got done um yeah and i don't want to be be too critical but everything took a really long time and i basically heard about uh an opportunity and i thought it would be a good growth opportunity to further specialize in accessibility uh so the change is i mean at at dq and level access the the pace is uh faster you know, everybody needs things done yesterday. Everybody needs their testing results next week. Everybody needs support. Um, you know, so there are times at, at both places where it could get overwhelming. But if you have the right amount of work, you can you can juggle working with a handful of clients and the variety uh, is is really cool. Uh, worked with um, I won't I won't drop names, but some really great, big, prominent global brands and worked with a great variety of teams at different companies. Um, and, you know, every once in a while you get a client that's sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm grumpy that I have to work with you, but we had this lawsuit. But I would say 90% of the clients were uh, like a pleasure to, to work with. And uh, like I said, the big, a really big advantage at, at working at both firms is having you know a team of a hundred plus talented, creative, experienced accessibility consultants. So, in the real world, as as you know, Joe, you run into a, a wide variety of accessibility challenges. Things like, wow, that's a new UI element you've dreamed up. How the heck are we going to make that accessible? So, really nice to be able to have a team of people in a, in a Slack channel or email to say. Oh, geez, look at this URL. I'm trying to figure out, should we do it like this, this, or this? And get really thoughtful, intelligent responses from people. That was really helpful in uh, building whatever expertise I have now. And now you're back within uh, one organization, albeit an uh, extremely large one, one of the, one of the biggest uh, digital companies in the world. So uh, how is it set up there? I, I know it's in large companies, uh, it can be done in different ways. Sometimes there's a, a accessibility group that supports across the entire enterprise. Uh, in other situations, individual groups have to 
find their way and claw for resources? Uh, how is it set up at Oracle? Yeah, it's it's growing at, at Oracle. I think I think even globally, um, you know, more and more companies are, you know, becoming aware of the need for accessibility. More and more large companies are building and growing, you know, their own internal teams because they're coming to the realization, hey, this isn't something I can just work with a consultant on for three months and then it goes away. You know, this is a, a it's a chunk of specialized knowledge that we need to spread, you know, through all the UX, QA, dev folks. We need executives and product owners to understand the need. Uh, you know, so a big part of it is is culture change. So what I'm trying to do at, at, at Oracle is keep my consultant hat on, really. And, and sort of treat the teams I work with, basically do the same role that, I, that I've been doing for the past uh, six or so years. And, you know, working with teams, finding out where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, focusing on that. And my strategy that I've sort of come up with over the, the years, this isn't new or unique to, to me, but how to gradually work accessibility in you know there's a lot to it and if you go to the teams that are already sort of stretched thin and working to capacity and you say okay from now on you have to do test these 50 checkpoints uh, it can be a lot so i'm i'm in the process now of working on building out a program where we're going to start with hey let's let's start these 10 checkpoints Let's understand what the user impact is and, and why we're doing them. Let's let's just focus on that for you know this month or this quarter. And then once that becomes part of our workflow, let's look at the next 10 things. Um, so again, trying to be sensitive to I don't know, people's organizational psychology, if you will, um, to to work in accessibility, let people know it's meaningful and connect with the work and try to build it gradually over time. Um, so back to your, your other point, um, Oracle does have a main accessibility uh, program office and they're a great group of folks. They serve and consult for all of Oracle's products. And um, so my role is I work closely with them, but I'm part of the, technically I report through the marketing organization. So it's really nice to be able to just focus on a smaller section of all the Oracle properties, which is all our public facing sites. So I, I, I call myself sort of the accessibility person for the, the front of the house, uh, but I work closely and, and, you know, sometimes support developers on our products and help people figure out, you know, challenging UI riddles and how to make them accessible. I, I think uh, I, I heard you mention uh, that you developed training, uh, you know, as part of your career. I can't remember if you said you were doing that at, at Oracle, but uh, is are, are there training programs available for people to, you know, kind of formally learn about accessibility uh, within your organization? Yeah, yeah, we've got, um, we've got, so Oracle has an accessibility conference uh, once a year, and, and we do training for different teams in an ad hoc basis. And we record those sessions and, and post those uh, for others to, to review. 
So uh, I'm focusing on, on sort of adding to that collective training. Uh, right now, I've done some sessions on sort of intro to accessibility, sort of 101 material for people that are new. Again, really trying to drive the, the human first, person first. Here's what our different user groups look like. Here's what assistive technology is. You know, and it's really eye-opening to people that have not been exposed to it before. Um, I'm just in the middle now of um, planning out and designing some sessions for our UX teams. And so focusing on the subset of accessibility stuff that designers most need to be concerned about, um, you know, color, page structure. Um, I just did a session yesterday on uh, interaction design. So a lot of interactive conversation about here's here's what a screen reader sounds like when the page is working well. Notice the great semantic information we're getting. Notice that every time there's a visual change on the page, we also hear something in the screen reader. And you know, also getting users used to uh, or or people used to putting their mouse to the side. And can you do all the things with keyboard only? And Again, trying to stimulate that UX problem solving. Um, you know, again, most UX and, and developers too, once they understand the purpose or in the right mindset, um, accessibility thinking is, you know, it's problem solving. It's, it's, it's doing what people presumably like to do in those rules already. It's just sort of extending the thought process to, you know, cover more people and, understand some more technical details well i you know one of the things i always like to uh, you know ask about is uh you know thoughts about uh you know the future uh you uh, maybe comment on uh you know maybe where you see certain things uh going as we move forward as accessibility professionals uh maybe areas that uh, you know, you see as gaps that need to be filled in or possibly, uh, you know, projects you, you can talk about that you're currently passionate about. Uh, I know I know when I look back on on my career in accessibility, uh, in a lot of ways, things uh, are are amazing compared to how they were 20 years ago. And then other in other ways, I, I'm like, wow, I really thought we'd be farther along <laughs> Than this at this point, uh, so I kind of threw a lot of things out there, but just kind of looking ahead, are there any uh, any areas you might want to comment on? Hmm. Let's see. That's a that's a pretty broad question, Joe. Um, yeah, just pick one one spot in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. I mean, I'm I'm optimistic about the the future of of accessibility and the trajectory we're on. Uh, I hear more and more having people with disabilities included in the, the social movements for, you know, diversity and inclusion and equity. And so I think that's great. Um, I like to say, you know, when I first got into accessibility, you know, I would go to a party and talk to somebody and they'd ask what I do and I'd say accessibility and they'd have no idea what it was. Now, more and more, um, in that same experience, people know more. So it's becoming more mainstream. So I like, um, in here in San Diego, I like to go to, say, meetup groups for UX, meetup groups for, for 
developers, and more and more of these people know what accessibility is and they're interested. And, and, and in these conversations, they'll say, oh, oh, I know a little bit about that. Hey, I have this question. So I have some fun conversations around that. I mean, as far as the where the future's going for accessibility, that's that's tricky. Um, I one thing I guess I can comment on. I just got back from uh, the Accessing Higher Ground conference and did a talk mm -hmm. there on artificial intelligence and accessibility, and and that's a fun talk. I, I got that accepted for uh, for CSUN this March and, and hope to go and, and deliver it again there. But um, it's a fun talk because it's it's there's essentially two parts. One is the positive, all the great things AI has done to help people with disabilities. And we're talking about speech recognition, voice control, uh, you know, the ability for AI to scan photos and video content and and provide you know intelligent descriptions um, there's cool developments in uh, possibilities for like robots to be able to to help folks but there's also problems with increased discrimination if ai tools are not deployed carefully um not sure if you've caught this sort of piece of news yet but more and more companies are using AI in hiring processes and interviewing processes for things like college or new jobs. And there are cases now where a resume might get screened out or even somebody's video interview might be analyzed by AI. And so there are some problems that if we're not designing AI inclusively, uh, it can end up having bias involved um, so, for example, you've got there are video um, AIs now helping people with, say, like an interview like this. If, if we had an AI running, you could literally have a tool that would analyze your and my emotional responses and eye contact, that kind of thing. We don't necessarily know how all those things work behind the scenes because they're all owned by private companies and the code base is protected, right? But imagine if you have an AI that is judging our eye contact and using that to uh, influence, say, an employability score. Well, if somebody has a facial difference or somebody is non-sighted and they're not making eye contact, they might get screened out of the hiring process before they're even considered by a human. So that's just sort of a taste, but I, I try to highlight the, the high points of accessibility in AI, but also point out the dangers that we need to be uh, vigilant about. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, well, first of all, I'm really glad you uh, mentioned the two uh, conferences uh, and uh, those be good things to uh, include in the show notes for people to be aware of that. And then uh, this uh, issue that you just brought up is, is a really interesting one that I hadn't uh, heard about in that way and as it relates to accessibility. Uh, so uh, I definitely want to look into that uh, further. Uh, I, I, I guess one of the things with AI is uh, it, it, it could also become a positive influence where it could eliminate uh, bias that exists for people with disabilities as they uh, present themselves. So yeah, thanks for uh, yeah. contributing that. 
Yeah, definitely. There, no, there is a lot of good potential there. Um, and the, the thing to sort of differentiate is the bias or the danger uh, happens. You know, it's just like web accessibility. If people don't know that they need to make sure to build this in, they're going to accidentally make inaccessible websites. The same applies for AI. If you just let the robots you know, scan the data and, and come up with algorithms on their own, there's a high chance for bias. But like you said, if we're conscientious and, and inclusive about it, we can use these tools to help screen out bias and hopefully make things more equitable. But it's something that has to be on the radar all the time or, or things are going to slip into that negative direction. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll we'll end up in the positive ways you, you mentioned looking on the optimistic view. But uh, thanks for uh, taking the time here to uh, share a little bit about your own journey and, and things going on in your work. And uh, hopefully I'll uh, see you at another event in uh, San Diego uh, again sometime soon. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks, Joe. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.